Testing. Testing, testing. Testing. Great. Yeah, come on, Jim. I'm, I'm, I'm on here. Okay, I'm pressing the link you sent this morning. I can't get in. Oh, boy. What did you, the same thing you did last week? Uh, how about the co, one I just sent for co-host. I just sent one for co-host. Oh, you just sent out. I sent another one for co-host. I sent one for co-host, and because we found out in order to speak, you got to come through co-host. About 555. Yep, and I put you and quite a few people in it. We were testing it last night. So, okay. See? No link. Oh no! It's, what what did you do last week? Because I can't go that way. I cannot get in that way at all. Let me go to the Podbean website see if I can get there. Okay, hey, call this. I always try to do it early, so if there's any yeah, problem, yeah, yeah. Call, call, uh, call Marlo one seven seven three five six two nineteen sixty three to walk you through if you can't get in. Okay, because we worked on it last night. One seven seven three five six two nineteen sixty. Hold on, man. Okay, let me get to the phone and I'll get one seven 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 three five six two five six two nineteen sixty three. But I nineteen sixty three. Yeah, and I invited you through co-host again in just a few minutes ago, so it's the same way as last week. Okay. okay. All right. Okay, James, you're connected. Can you hear me? Because I can't hear you. you Got to come through the podcast. Can you hear me, James? I'm here, Cliff. Yeah, I'm here. All right, here we go. Can you hear the music? Loud and clear. All right, now. Good. Seven, six, five, 
four, three, two, one. All righty. Good evening. Welcome to the Cliff Burt and Friends Sports Talk Show. This evening, we are going to um, first say hello, and I'm going to let my co-hosts, Jimmy Waddell, say hello to you as well. Hey, hey. Welcome to the Cliff Burton Friends Talk Show. All righty. And uh, we have a great lineup for you tonight. We want to continue on with the mission of our show. And the mission of our show is to make sure that we feature the very best in women's athletics, women's sports, as well as historically black colleges and universities. We highlight the five conferences, the MIAC, the SWAC, the SIAC, the GCAC, and the CIAA. So <clears throat> welcome along as we get ready for our show tonight. Now, we want to pick up where we left off last week, and that's highlighting none other than our Woman of the Month, and actually she's a Woman of the Month for December, but that is none other than Lucia Harris. We talked some about her last week, and I want to give you a little bit more before we get started. Lucia Harris was born to Ethel Harris and Willie Harris, a cranberry farmer in Mentor City, Mississippi. She's the 10th of 11 children and the fourth of five daughters. All her brothers and one of all the sisters, Janie, played basketball. Harris and her siblings attended Amanda Elsie High School in Greenwood, Mississippi. Harris won the most valuable player award three consecutive years, was captain and made the all-star team. She scored a school record of 46 points in one game and led her high school to the state tournament in Jackson State. Now, after high school, she went on to attend Alcorn State University. They didn't have a, a women's basketball team at the time. So she uh, went on to attend Delta State in Cleveland, Mississippi. All of this was before Title IX, all before Title IX. Uh, we talked about some of the statistics last week as she led Delta State to three championships in the last three years of college. And again, we're going to pick that up next week. But we'll stop for the freshman year, where she led Delta State to a 16-2 record. And all of this, again, was before Title IX. Her team finished third in the regional tournament, but failed to qualify for the women's national tournament at that time. And this was 1971. Again, this is our featured Women of the Month. We're starting early for December. Miss Lucia Harris. Miss Lucia Harris. Um, <clears throat> Jim, where do you think she would stand today as a center when you look at her statistics and look at what she was able to do? This is all pre-Title IX. Where do you think she would stand today? Well, I think she would be in the same category as Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird because she went to the playoffs her freshman year. She was 16-2, and two and they didn't qualify. After that, she won three straight titles her sophomore, junior, and senior year. So I would think she'd be in the talk for the GOAT because she, she dominated the women's game before it became a real, you know, before I guess Cheryl Miller in the 80s and that group took it to the next level. But she was just dominant. Her and I think Nancy Lieberman played at that time as well. That's correct. But she, she was a very dominant player. And probably, you know, again, had she been born 10, 15 years later, would have had a lucrative career in the WNBA. But it was before her time. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder where she gets the competitiveness. But I guess with all those brothers and sisters, they learn to go at it in the backyard or somewhere. Uh, I remember uh, Jordan saying that about himself, but I guess that's where she got her competitiveness from from as well. You have eleven kids. You got a you got a made homemade basketball team with one sub <laughs> on each. So yes, I'm sure did. they were competitive games there, and I think she was to a tenth of eleven. Yeah, tenth she was of next 11. to the youngest. 
Oh yeah, so yeah, she she had a lot of uh, coaches. Yes, she say, did. In yes, her she family. Did. Now I want to say this to all anybody on the line or coming on the line. If you have any question, <laughs> please put them in the chat box. We may open the line a little later on, but for right now, let's put them in the chat box. Now, in talking about Miss Lucia, ha Lucia Harris and and, and, a, and her being a pioneer, um, we want to begin to talk about a guest that we're going to have on our show uh, in two weeks, 12-12. And by the way, that show will be starting, or interview will be starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time. In fact, our broadcast will be moving back beginning next week to 8 p.m. Eastern time. We want to do this to make sure we get, we're on the East Coast, but we want to give all of our audience and future potential audience a chance to join in from East to West Coast. So we're moving to 8 p.m beginning next week. Now, in two weeks, Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton will be a special <coughs> interview uh, guest. She's one of the 50 trailblazers that led the way to the signing of Title IX back in 1972. She's featured in a book that's titled um, Pat Summit, the Great Volunteers Coach and Tennessee's Trailblazers, 50 years, 50 stories, and it's forwarded by Mary Ellen Pafel. She will be our featured interview guest on 12-12, 8 p.m., right here on this show. So that's going to be something to look forward to, and let's make sure we spread the word. Um, now, I want to talk about some more <coughs> excuse me, outstanding and I do mean outstanding young people. Jim, this first young lady is Olivia Pichardo. Let's remember that name, Olivia Pichardo. She's an 18-year-old heading to Brown University, um, and she'll be playing her first game of varsity baseball this February. Uh, she always wanted to be on the baseball team from the time she was in eighth grade, but she went to a lot of college baseball camps. And a lot of people discouraged her. They wanted to play softball, but she wanted to play hardball. She stuck with her dreams, and she went to Brown not on a baseball scholarship because she's academically smart, but when she walked out there and walked on the team, the coach was so impressed that he put her, hit his gym, at shortstop and second base because of the way she could feel the ball. So Olivia Pichardo was, is a trailblazer from Queens, New York, that'll be playing varsity baseball, the first one, and she'll be playing it at Brown University. Uh, beginning baseball season in February. So, Jim, now, we discussed softball before and its popularity. But, um, well, what do you think about this story? I'm trying to remember the young lady that played in the uh, Little League World Series went on to play. I think she's at, she's at Hampton mm -hmm. playing softball. You remember what okay. I'm talking about? I, I remember hearing it. Girl from Philadelphia. Okay. She, uh, I, th I thought she would have tried this route, but, you know, she went, she uh, stopped playing baseball and concentrated on softball and was playing real well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy for it. And, and, you know, Ivy League school, we'll see what happens. I think she's going to be competitive and be a good player. Yeah. They say that, um, well, you know, all, all these stories that we're seeing now are the result, again, of the 1972 legislation of, of, of Title IX. And, and now we're seeing young women get these opportunities that they just didn't have before and, uh, and making the most of them. So congratulations, Olivia Pichardo. Here's another young lady, African-American. 
Star Andrews just made history. On October 29th, 21-year-old Star Andrews made a history at Skate Canada. And help me with this word. I'm just going to say it's in Ontario. Like This city is hard to pronounce. She's the first black U.S. figure skater to win an ISU Grand Prix medal since the series began in 1995. Now Andrews is going to take a moment, and she already has. She's celebrated on the Jennifer Hudson show. And Jim, is so important, and to our audience, that our young folks also become exposed to these winter sports. And the reason I like uh, this story and want to make sure it's known so well is that figure skating is not one of those sports that you pick up in high school, like baseball or softball. It's one of those sports that you have to be exposed through, uh, exposed to by your parents or coach or someone else. And you have to have a strong desire to do this sport because it's not, again, one of the popular ones in your high school. Um, so, uh, Jim, what's your thoughts on Star Andrews and then some of the skating figures, African-Americans, who have gone before her, like Dominic uh, Dawes and, and others? Debbie, I forget her name. Yeah. They, yep. And the young lady from France, Asana Basul, who did the, who actually did the figure skating where she did the flip, mm -hmm. and they banned it because it was too hard for anybody else to do. Mm. You know, I think we we have a lot of great figure skaters that never get to do that they that they should. I know I had a, and growing up in Detroit, there was an all black uh, hockey team that did very well, but you never hear about it. But, you know, the dedication that it takes for these sports, you basically have to give up your, your, your high school years to move away to practice full time. So, you know, my hat goes off to anybody, anybody who can do this, do well, and succeed and win at it. Amen. Amen. Again, congratulations. We'll keep an eye out on Star Andrews and what she's doing. There's some more. There's some more women that are making history just this month, in fact, just this week, over at the World Cup of Soccer, Stephanie Fraport of France made soccer history Tuesday as the first woman to officiate a men's World Cup match. She took the field as the fourth official in the game between Mexico and Poland. But there's more news. She wasn't the only one. From Japan, Yamashita, Yoshimi, and from the continent of Africa, Rwanda's Salima Mukansaga. All of these ladies were the first ones to referee matches at the World Cup of Soccer. And this is the first time this has ever happened in the 95 year history of the soccer tournament. So these are the facts that we want to make sure we get out to encourage our young ladies and uh, <clears throat> society that this time, this time, past time for these things to take place. But all history making, Jim. And soccer is another one, another sport that we don't go into uh, like we should um, on our radio shows and on our, on our broadcasts. But congratulations again. Jim. Yes. Here we go. Before we get to our commercial break, commercial music break, if we can. All right. Brittany Grimes. Um, well, we... Go ahead, Jim. We now know that they're looking to trade Victor Boot, who is known as the Merchant of Death. He's an arms dealer who was caught up by the U.S. and Thailand in 2008. He has a Hollywood movie in his name. He sold arms to people who were going to kill Americans. And Brittany Griner has been moved to a uh, work camp prison in Moldova, which is said to be terrible. They, they, they have beatings. They are treated prisoners harshly. There's no medical treatment there. It's just a bad place to be. Also, 
there's a former Marine named Paul Whalen who's been over in who's been in Moscow in prison for a couple of years that they're trying to make a two for one swap. Because you know, uh, Whelan is a Marine, and his family is making a uh, making a stink about. It. And I understand, you know, he's been over there for four or five years. Yeah. So they need to bring both of these people home, even if it's going to cost them Victor Booth. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it seems like Jim, uh, the push now, of course, is sooner than later. Even some of our stars, Hollywood stars, are speaking out. We know the NBA and WNBA has been. And Biden, or some people think, now that the midterm elections are over, things will move forward. What do, what do you think about that? I, th I think they will. But I also think that, you know, Russia is using Britney as a pawn you know, speeding up the trial, ratcheting up her punishment, sending her to a, uh, uh, basically a uh, work camp mm -hmm. to get this done. Cause they want boot back bad. You know, I hate that you have to deal with such scandalous people to get someone whose crime is really non, should be non-punishable to get them back. But, we need to get her back. You know, let's face it, before we get to the commercial break, yeah. Brittany Griner being African-American in the LT, LGBTQ rank, uh, grouping mm -hmm. is all a couple things that Putin hates. Yeah. So, you know, when this all happened, it became, you know, easy for him to make an example out of her. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> Do you think it, it one thing that the United States WNBA players who are not playing there this winter, they also help the oligarchs who own those basketball teams make money. Do you think mm -hmm. that's going to have some kind of effect to end this? So maybe one day get our players back over there. Now, maybe not to Putin. But to others in the country. If I were a young lady who is aspiring to play basketball and wants to go to Europe, and let's face it, Europe is paying sometimes 10 times more than we pay. I know um, mm -hmm. Diana Taurasi played over there one year, or Candace Parker, and they said, We'll pay you just to stay over here so you don't have to go back over to the US. Mm -hmm. But if I were a young lady, I would not go over there right now with the climate that it is. Absolutely. Because you're just Absolutely. setting yourself up to be a target whenever Putin wants something. Because I think the sanctions that they put on Putin early on hurt him. They hurt him. Yeah. yeah. So he's taking it back now to get somebody, get a bad man back. So mm -hmm. I would not go over there, male or female. Mm -hmm. You know, I know there was a story about an American football player in China that spent two years in prison wrongfully caused because he said he started a bar fight you just never know when you go over to places that have issues with the u.s what's going to happen to you that's right jim we're going to take a minute and and we'll be right back if any of our listeners have comments questions or concerns let's put them in the chat box let's take a minute music commercial break
let's let's pivot now and let's get into some sports. This week we're going to highlight three conferences. We're going to do the women and then the men. Three HBCU conferences, as well as uh, the top <laughs> three or four in NCAA. In the women's HBCU, we're going to talk about the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and then we're going to talk about uh, the SIAC, Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. We're going to give you the background. So when we talk about these conferences all year, you'll know what we're talking about. So let's start with the SWAC. The player of the year to watch in the SWAC conference is Arkansas Pine Bluffs guard Zay Green. She was all SWAC last year and is preseason player of the year this year. She transferred to Arkansas Pine Bluff last year from a Division I school. She averaged 15.8 points per game and 7.8 rebounds for the Lady Golden Lions. Let's watch out for Zaya Green. The preseason defensive player of the year goes to Jackson State's Deja Wooded. This 6'3 forward locked their opponents with 23 steals and 24 blocks to help the Lady Tigers win the 22 SWAC Women's Basketball regular season and tournament titles. Those two players are the key players to watch to lead the SWAC Conference Women's Division this year. Now, here's the order of predicted finish in the preseason, and these are the teams in the SWAC Conference. Jackson State, <laughs> number one. Alabama State, number two. Southern, number three. Alabama A&M, number four. Arkansas, Pine Bluff, number five. Grambling State, six. Prairie View A&M, seven. Texas Southern, eight. Bethune-Quickman, nine. Florida A&M, 10. 11, Alcorn State. And number 12 was Mississippi, Mississippi State. Now that was the preseason a few weeks ago. Predicted order finish. Let me tell you where we are right now. Because there's six, five, six games into the season. And this is just going off their overall records because they're not in the conference play yet. Prairie View is at top three and three. Jackson State, two and three, but they've played some big teams in the preseason. Southern, two and three. Alcorn State, two and three. Arkansas, Pine Bluff, it's one and four. I'm just going to name the top five or six, and there it is. You have them for the SWAT Conference. Of course, Tamika Reed and Jackson State women are predicted to finish first again. Now let me give it to you. For the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, preseason player of the year, Ashiala Jackson from Tuskegee, and defensive player of the year, Jude Taraya Willis from Tuskegee. These two players are predicted to lead the way on their teams and lead the conference this year. The predicted order of finish. And these are the two different divisions I'm going to give you. In the Eastern Division, Benedict, number one. Number two, Savannah State. Number three, Albany State. Number four, Clark, Atlanta. Number five, Edward Waters. Number six, Fort Valley State. And number seven, Allen. They make up the Eastern Division of the SIAC. In the Western Division, predicted to be number one, Tuskegee. Number two, Miles. Number three, Lane. Number four, Kentucky State. Number five, Lamont Owen. Number six, Central State. And number seven, Spring Hill. Remember, Spring Hill women won volleyball four straight years in a row. But now we're talking basketball. Now, that's the predicted order of finish. But that was a few weeks ago. Here's where we stand as of right now. For the... Um, Eastern Division, Albany State leads it, three and two. Savannah State, one and zero. Allen, three and one. Edward Waters, four and two, and Benedict is two and four. I'm just gonna name the top five or six. In the Western Division, Miles College ladies are four and one. Tuskegee, four and one. Lane, one and zero. Central State, one and three, and Kentucky State is one and. 
two. So there you have it. That's where we are so far. Again, most teams are not into their conference schedule and haven't played a conference game yet. You have the SWAC and you have uh, the SWAC Division One, SIAC Division Two. Now, let's go to the third conference, the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. Conference, and I'm going to call down there because they don't have all the standings out. But let's talk about this conference, NAIA, the only HBCU NAIA conference led by Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes. This conference has seven teams, Oakwood University, Wiley College, Southern University of New Orleans, Fisk University, Dillard University, and Philander Smith College. They don't have the predictor order of finish out yet in the women's division, but I want to talk about some things in this conference. They have, they had two excellent coaches added to the conference this year. Victoria Crawford from Fisk University, who's doing a great job, and we mourn the loss of Tiffany Jackson, former WNBA great former Texas Longhorn legend, and she was going to be in her first year at Wiley College this year. We lost her right before the beginning of the season of breast cancer, but we wish everybody at Wiley College, Texas, and her family the best love from us here and on behalf of us, and we also wish the GCA well in her loss. Now, they do have Players of the Week since basketball started. And November 21st, the Women's Basketball Player of the Week was Jalon Miles. She is a member of Wiley College basketball team. And she had a tremendous week. <clears throat> uh, she had and a most productive game, productive game of the season. She came off the bench and recorded a double-double to help her team in a victory against NCAA Division III schools, Centenary College, of Louisiana. She shot 60% field and scored 20 points against Centenary, then scored 17 points against Arlington Baptist. So again, congratulations, Jaylan Miles, junior forward and guard. <coughs> we want to say this. We'll talk more about the, the Gulf Coast Conference as we go. I want to get the standings and uh, Jim, anything you have to say so far on women's HBCU? Because I think we're in for a heck of a ride this year. What do you have to say? I, I agree with you. The only thing I have to add on the uh, SWAC Pac-12 challenge, the women so far have gone 0 for 4. But there's been some competitive games. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that that's only going to boost the uh, women for the different schools up. I know Jackson State, as we said last week, has beaten a couple of D1 teams. But mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the women, women overall, there's a, uh, a lack, and me being on the high school level, see, there's a lack of commitment. But those who get to the next level are committed, ready to play, can beat anybody. Yeah. And I think a lot of these schools, as you said earlier, are using the uh, portal. I was looking at the men and see a lot of them have almost a complete turnover. And we'll talk about that when I get to that part. But, you know, basketball with one or two players, you can change your whole your whole season. Absolutely. Your, your whole outlook. Absolutely. We have one more woman, Jim, and uh, from the GCAC. The week prior, November 14th, yes, Maya Buchanan, Fisk University, Lady Bulldogs, Senior Center. Maya Buchanan was a GCA Women's Basketball Player of the Week. She shot, hear this, Jim, 92.9% from the floor for 28 points in the Lady mm -hmm. Bulldogs' homecoming win over Shawnee State University. Jim, you and I were at that game. 
She also yes. snatched six rebounds and dished two assists. So we don't want to leave you out. Maya Buchanan, congratulations, November 14th, Basketball Player of the Week. And again, Coach, congratulations to Coach Victoria Crawford, who's doing a tremendous job down there at Fisk University. Now, one more thing, Jim, before we head to commercial break, and then we're going to come back <coughs> to the men. We'll, we won't go over the major Division One schools. We talked about them last week, South Carolina, Stanford, UConn. We'll talk again next week. But I don't want to leave this out. And even in the basketball segment, let's congratulate the Jackson State University ladies for winning the 2022 SWAC Conference soccer title. So they're winning in basketball. They're winning in soccer. We know about football. That's coming later on the show. Mm-hmm. So let's congratulate Jackson State University. SWAT Conference Soccer Champions. Go Tigers. We're going to take a minute break, Jim, and we're going to come back and we're going to let you take us uh, to talk about the men's HBCU preseason conference and all that good stuff. We'll take a minute on a music break. Here we go. No music. Here it is. There you go. Jim, take us away. Okay. First, the SWAC, which right now they have uh, in the rankings. Well, first of all, the SWAC teams in the Pac-12 Challenge went 3-3 three and three with Grambling, te- uh, Texas Southern, and Prairie View all winning over their uh, Pac-12 counterparts. All, all three games were won at home, and all the other three were lost on the road. So it was a three-three split. Now in the patent, you've got Carl Nicholas at TSU, Texas Southern, is Defensive Player of the Year and a first-team player. John Walker is a second-team player. So TSU is picked to finish first. Alcorn State with Dominic Bruton, Keandre Montgomery, second teamers. Pick to finish second, Southern with Tyrone Lyons, first teamer, and Price and Etienne as a uh, first sorry, teamer. Second teamer, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Prairie View AM has Jeremiah Gambrell as a first teamer. Picked to finish fourth. FAMU picked to finish fifth. Cameron Christian at Grambling State is a first-teamer. Jackson State is fixed to finish seventh. Joe French at BCU is also the player of the year and a first-teamer. And Garrett Hicks at Alabama A&M is a first-teamer. Now, the SIAC. Jim, can I ask you something before you go on? Who went to the NCA and represented uh, the SWAC Commerce last year in March Madness? Was it Texas Southern? I think so. Okay. I think so. Okay. Now, in the SIAC, Morehouse won last year with a 15-2 and record, but they have seven transfers coming in from all over the place. They got some from uh, UNLV, 
got one from uh, the uh, Midwest, Mid, uh, Ohio Valley, and they have Billy Thomas. It's the guy that came in from uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, who's the first teamer. Brandon Beelman of Benedict is the second teamer and a defensive player of the year candidate. Savannah State has Horace Brad Broadnax, who's a former Georgetown player, as a coach. A lot of uh, uh, former college and pro alumni are, are coaching in these leagues. So you've got uh, Elian Bowles and AJ Plain helping out Savannah State, who had a lot of transfers as well. Albany State has first-teamer Jordan Simpson, second-teamer Malik Palmer, Parker. Fort Valley State has K.J. Doucette, who is the uh, Defensive Player of the Year and a first-teamer, and Robert Kendrick. Clark has Jalen Williams, Justin Longstreet, and Allen and Edward Waters I picked to round out that division. Then you go to the West, Miles has Yassim Hooker, first-teamer, Mikael Carter, a second-teamer, Elijah Horton, and Truett Spence, sir. Tuskegee has Greg Boyd, a second-teamer, Lemoyne Owen has Gerard Wilson and Micah Evans, and Tariq Shepard. Uh, Kentucky State has Montreal Jacobs, second-teamer. Shannon, Siobhan Beasley, and Jalen Andrews. Uh, Central State, Marcus Scott, a second teamer. Lane has Kelvin Allen, and Spring Hill has Burrow Kabinga from uh, Clearwater, Florida, who's a first teamer as well. These leagues look to be very competitive. And keep going, Go ahead. And the SIAC, SIAC, who went to the uh, tournament, do you know, for Division Two last year? A lot of people don't know that, that there's March Madness for Division One, which everybody knows about, but Division Two, Division Three, and NAI. So for the SIAC, who, who, do you know who won the uh, conference I and who went on to well, the... Well, uh, Morehouse won the conference with the 15-2 record. <laughs> And they went on to the big dance. Yes. I see. Uh, one of the things that these players will have this year, this year, Jim, because it's only, I believe, one player in the NBA from an HBCU. I think he's from Tennessee State University. Am I right? Yes, uh, yeah, I'm looking at him. I can't remember his name. Yeah. He's six seven player. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one player. Since Robert O'Quinn he used to be from Virginia Union, is out of the league. Robert it was Quinn State. from Norfolk State. Yeah, Norfolk State. Robert Norfolk State. is the guy from okay. PSU. Right. Now, <clears throat> they had some showcase games, I believe, at the NBA All-Star Game uh, weekend last year, trying to get HBCU players exposure. But the NBA, excuse me, HBCU players will have an additional opportunity this year to play professional basketball if they don't make the NBA stateside. And, and Jim, we had an opportunity to uh, interview this young lady we want to have on this show, Kimberly Meadows Clark, right? She'll be yeah. starting her league, uh, I believe the draft is in March or April. And you have to have either played for the HBCU or been an alumni to get drafted to this league. It's a great league, and uh, we're going to talk some more about it. So these players are going to have quite a few opportunities ahead of them from all of our HBCUs. Yes. Um, and so we're really, really looking forward, looking forward to that. And also, there was the NBA PA, the National Basketball Players Association, had a separate uh, top 50 camp for HBCU players mm-hmm. in Atlanta this summer. After a two-year absence because of coronavirus, they are pleased to announce a continued partnership with the Top 50 Basketball Camp. It was held from July 28th to July 30th on the campuses of Morehouse and Clark Atlanta University. It was developed to get the best ball players from the SIC and the SWAC 
respectively. Modeled after the NBA's top 100 camp. Players came from all the uh, all different levels of uh, HBCUs. And a lot of the players that we named were involved in that camp, like Burrell Kaminga, Billy Thomas. Fisk University had four players at that camp. Wonderful. Which would be Devin Payne, Ethan Jones, Jamon Reed, and Mario Davis. Wonderful. But a, Wonderful. A lot of those players that I named in the uh, different uh, – SWAC or the SIAC were in that camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for people great. that don't know, uh, the history of HBCUs getting to the NBA just began to drop off in the last, what, Jim, 10 years, maybe? But people like Bobby Dandridge from Norfolk State. Earl the Pearl Monroe, going back a little bit here, Winston-Salem State, Dick Barnett, Tennessee State, Truck Roberts, Tennessee State, uh, Big Ben Wallace, who's a Hall of Famer. And Charles Oakley. And Charles Oakley, Virginia Union. Uh, There's just quite a few that have gone from HBCUs and played in the NBA. And um, as we promote our leagues here, we're also going to talk about their conference tournaments. And the big one, the CIAA. Oh, boy. So uh, yeah, there's just so much. There's just so much. Oh, Anthony Mason, the late Anthony Mason. Thank you yeah. so much. We had one of our uh, callers there, our listeners. Anthony Mason, Tennessee State University. So the list goes on and on. And the other thing I want to say question. something about NAIA basketball, the GCAC. Okay. A lot of people think, <laughs> excuse me, they think it's a step down to play NIA. Let's remind them, Dennis Robin and Scotty Pippen were NAIA basketball players. So, players, if you want to look and a D1 or a D2 doesn't pick you up, come on down and play in the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. You can still make it uh, to the NBA and get yourself looked at. Last thing, Jim, let's talk about, and we're going to start let, keeping up with Let me this. just say this right here. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Let's, just, let's face it. If someone is going to pay you in terms of getting an education to play basketball, hey, you cannot pass it up. And NAIA has some great competition. I had a classmate named Ray Lee who went to a Fort Hayes State in Kansas. He won, I think, two titles. He beat out Rodman and Pippen. Mm. He said, you know, they every time, you know, the late Ray God bless his soul, every time he went through Kansas, people would stop him and know him, hey, you're Ray Lee, you did this. And it's all because he played basketball at a school that he brought fame to, and they loved him forever. And, and you know, the same thing won't happen to anybody. And, again, we talk about Mark Bedell and all the things that he's done, and now he's sure. the, He's the uh, superintendent of Kansas City Schools. So anything is possible. You just have to make it happen. Absolutely. And um, as, as as we reach out, Jim, with this podcast, uh, we're going to reach out to high school coaches as well and players and many parents as we can to get them to understand. And I said it last week. I'll say it as long as I'm on this earth. Divisions is only athletically, athletically, but when you leave that university, there's no division. If you got it, you're gonna go pro in something. So you making you have to see magnitude of your athletic choice of where yeah. you're going. I think Jim, you said it last week. The University of Georgia football team did not graduate one black athlete in the 80s, and I'm not going to get into politics, but there's a certain player that played there in the 80s Victorian? that's showing he didn't go to class. Huh? <laughs> nah, you nah. mean the valedictorian? Yeah. <laughs> not calling Look, any names, but yeah. I'm not going to call any names. So uh, I just don't believe that um, uh, our HBC graduates would sound this way. But nevertheless, on that, Let's go to commercial break, and we'll come back and talk football, Jim. We'll come back and talk football. 
All right now. So let's shift a little bit. <clears throat> Football. Division two playoffs this past week. Um, Benedict College from the SIC, their first undefeated season in quite a while. Uh, Coach Chenis Berry of the Benedict Tigers should be congratulated. They went 11-0 in the SIC conference. And unfortunately, in their... The second round of the Division II playoffs, they lost to Wingate College 23-7 to or 23-6, to the same team that the week before beat Virginia Union. So unfortunately, at this time, um, there are no HBCU colleges in Division II left in the playoffs. But again, congratulations, Coach Chenis Berry. And Jim, we have reached out to try to have him on our show. We're waiting to hear back uh, uh, from him. But uh, now this school is in South Carolina. Am I correct, Jim? Yes. Where did they okay. play that game? Huh? Did they play it at, at Benedict or did they play it at uh, the school they lost to? I, I have to look, but I believe it's the school they lost to at Wingate. But I have to look. They were undefeated, so I'd have to look. So they were, and you know, it happens, as I'll show you in the uh, 1AA playoffs, or FCS, Football Championship Subdivision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great season. 11-1. Yeah. Virginia Union finished 9-2, and um, and, and, and they didn't win it, their, their CIAA title, but they finished 9-2. and The other team that did win the CIAA, Fayetteville State, I think finished nine and two. So all three of them, a great job, great job of, great of representing. Now, Jim, let's go to Division One. Talk to me about what happened with uh, in the swag and what's the big game down in Louisiana? They just had it. The Bayou Classic. Bayou Classic. So uh, tell us what happened this weekend, Jim. Division One. Well, uh, the Bayou Classic was won by, I believe, Southern. 34 to 17. They won. Now, when you go to. They beat who? Grambling? Grambling? They beat Grambling. Grambling. The two teams in Louisiana always play each other on uh, Thanksgiving weekend in New Orleans. And it's a big party. And they get 50,000. It's so so big of a game that NBC televises Mm -hmm. this game. Mm -hmm. And they make sure to let you see the halftime show. So it's not like they're going to break and talking about the game. They let the halftime show run. Now, when we get to Division One playoffs in the SWAT championship picture, uh, 
first of all, um, Jackson State is 11 and 0, and they will play the winner of the West, which I believe is. So is it Southern? Southern or Prairie View? I can't remember. I think it's going to be Southern, they say. I was reading on okay. that. I think it's going to be Southern. Mm -hmm. But they'll play in a game, and the winner of that game will play in the Celebration Bowl. Now, which brings us to the 1AA or FCS playoffs. Hold on, Jim. Before you do that, who's the winner from the MEAC? Central? Oh, it's got to that's easy. In North Carolina Central. Okay. Okay. Now, in the last ranking, which they based their playoffs on, Jackson State was fifth behind South Dakota State, Sacramento State, Montana State, and North Dakota State. Now, I know some people will say, well, why, don't, uh, why doesn't uh, Jackson State play in the playoffs? Well, the Celebration Bowl pays each, each member that play a million dollars. They won't get anything close to that by winning the FCS conference. So that eliminates the two best teams in terms of uh, North Carolina Central was ranked number 21 and Jackson State, which is ranked five. But in the FCS playoffs, they will base their rankings. Well, no, they'll base who they give a playoff game to who can bring the most money back to the NCAA. Because you have to make a bid of hmm. 30000 for the first round, 40 second round, 50 quarters, and 60000 on the semi. I see. Now, when it came time to picking games, first of all, the Big Sky Conference, which had five teams, which were Montana, who won, Idaho, who lost, Weber State, who won, Montana State and uh, Sacramento State both have five. And the Colonial Athletic Association had five as well. William & Mary had a bye. New Hampshire won, Delaware won, Richmond won, and Elon lost. Now, after we get past that, when you look at the rankings, you had a 12th ranked SEMO or Southeast Missouri play at 17th ranked Montana because I guess Montana came up with a better bid. Simo was, I watched that game. Simo was winning 24 to three, and Montana came back and beat them 34 24 at home. Fordham also played 13th ranked, played at 16th ranked New Hampshire. Now you come down to the teams that were ranked 18th through 22nd, which would be Mercer, St. Thomas, Minnesota, Florida A&M, North Carolina Central and Chattanooga. None of them got bids. Wow. Five teams that weren't in the top 25, which are going to be Delaware, who played St. Francis, which is another team that didn't make it, Eastern Kentucky. And I guess Eastern Kentucky made it because they won the OVC. Okay. OVC in the, uh, the other league. And Davis. And Gardner Webb, which is six and five, made it over a nine and two North Carolina, Florida A and M. I'm sorry. Now, and you know they say you know games, close games count. Well, and you know miss, missing players. Montana got a break because its best player missed the key game. But fam, you had 25 players miss the North Carolina game, which was a closer game for a Division One. And a team that's playing in the ACC championship, they lost by less than 14 points to them. Mm. And the JSU game. Now, conspiracy think Montana made it because they bid for a home game and had the money to pay for it. And like I said, mm. North Carolina Central and Jackson State will make a million dollars for going to the celebration ball. So they, are, they weren't really concerned about that. And you know, you, last year I think North Fam uh, U was ranked higher than uh, Southeast Louisiana, but they had to play down there, and that game was the refs were interesting. Just to keep in mind. <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's a lot of I think money talks in this league. Sure. 
And it's a shame. And, you know, two unranked teams, EKU, Eastern Kentucky and Delaware, at home games. They were unranked. So they're playing a ranked team at home. Wow. That makes sense. Wow. Well, uh, we are, Jim, also going to reach out to the FAMU coach who was 9-2 and two and didn't get an at-large bid, at bid and try to get him on our show as well in the future. So, um, But thanks for giving us a, a, a clarity uh, thus far of what's going on with this playoff uh, picture and what's going on with our HBCUs at Division One. Um, I would love to hear from him because if you look at when he had his full lineup, he's 9-0. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn you. Now, another thing that I was looking at, too, in terms of the SWAT, you know, you have Florida, A&M, Jackson State, Southern, I think Alabama State, yeah, and maybe Prairie View. They were the only ones to have a winning record. Seven teams had a losing record. Okay. Now, a lot of that is they play those money games and lose heavily. I think Grambling went out to uh, UCLA mm-hmm. to play a game. But, you know, I, I still think that if you look at Jackson State, obviously, Florida A&M deserved to bid. Yeah. If only for what they did against UNC. Absolutely. They deserve a bid. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jim. Uh I want to get to this before we get off the air, because as our uh, HBCU college seasons are ending, some very important times are coming up for our seniors to go to a few bowls and then to repeat what happened last year or even do better. Last year, these players made the NFL from HBCUs. Fayetteville State Division II cornerback Joshua Williams who was taken in the fourth round, made the Kansas City Chiefs. South Carolina State's cornerback, Kobe Durant, taken in the fourth round, number 142, made the Los Angeles Rams. Jackson State's linebacker, James Houston, sixth round, taken 217th, made the Detroit Lions. And, and as, a dender, guard, as a dender with James, uh, with James Houston, he had two sacks in the, in the uh, Thanksgiving Day game against Buffalo. There we go. And Southern's guard, Tyree Carter, was taken in the seventh round, number 226, and he made the Chicago Bears roster. Let me give some names. These are our top players to look out for this year. Isaiah Land, defensive end, linebacker, plays on the edge, Florida A&M, considered to be the number one prospect from HBCUs going into NFL draft. Mark Evans, offensive tackle. Arkansas Pine Bluff. Number three, Shaquan Davis, wide receiver, South Carolina State. Jadakis Bonds, wide receiver, Hampton. And number five, Kamari Avery, tight end from Bethune-Cookman. Now, that's one of the prospect polls we looked at. There are a lot more players. We're going to get into this a lot more over the next few weeks as these young men represent HBCU colleges. Now, these are just... We cover our conferences, but there's so many more. Tennessee State is no longer in a traditional HBCU conference. Hampton is no longer in HBCU. We're also going to add their coverage to what we do. But for right now, North Carolina A&T as well. North Carolina A&T. But for right now, uh, Jim, it's been a great show. I did promise our callers, so I'm going to unmute our caller here on the test and ask them to say one thing before we get off the air or any questions or anything on the comment on our show. Caller? Hi, guys. Hello? Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Tell us your name. Hi, this is Marlo from New Jersey. How are you? We all good. Good, I thought this was a very good show. I really enjoyed it. I just have one quick question. Actually, maybe two questions, well, if I can. Let me shut the music off. Uh, where, where is Allen College, and what is a money game? <coughs> I believe Allen Cliff. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are they in South Carolina? Yeah, they're in South Carolina. Oh, okay, money so game, money game is where a team from HBCU.
HBCU will play a Division One team. Like I know, you, Grambling went to UCLA. Um, FAMU went to North Carolina, and they play that game for some money. Now the problem there is the money that they're getting is not the same money that some other one AA team gets, and that you know that there's discrepancy that Dion was talking about. They're not being paid enough to do what they need to do. You know, you go to a game like that, you get some players hurt, you need to be getting upwards of a million dollars. And even the game where TSU played Jackson State that we were at, they only got 250000 apiece. And that's why Dion is not going back there until he gets, until they up the money. The promoter is keeping a lot of the money and not giving it to the team. Got it. Now, I heard that the Southern and Grambling State, this was the last year for that classic. Is that true? Do you know if that's true or not? I don't know. I would think that, and you know, again, Marlo, I would think that the cities of Memphis and uh, New Orleans would kick in some money because that game, I know Memphis probably makes about $5 million. And I'm sure... uh, New Orleans is making either that much or more. So I figure that, that that needs to be worked out with the uh, cities as well. All righty. Well, well, thank okay, you. Well, thank you. I know the time. You're more than welcome. And uh, before we get off the air, we like to talk HBCU and the best of women's sports. And we do it every week. Next week, we'll do it at 8 p.m. Eastern time. But if you want to get some more great sports talk in, and they'll talk NBA, NFL, and baseball, and much broader sports, listen to 9, 10 a.m. every Wednesday from 9 to 11 p.m. Mark Jones and Friends. Help me out here, Jim. We will be on as well. (laughs) I will be on as well from 9 to 11. Jack, Mark, Carl, and Richie. All right now. We got it right. Thanks so much. And we'll see you in about 168 hours from now. Thank you so much. All right. Enjoy. All righty. Calling five times during the show. Why is she calling?